From the Charger Nation Network, you're listening to Dr. Z and the J-Dub Show. Ready. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Z and J-Dub podcast, part of the Charger Nation Network. I'm J.W. Stewart, joined by our producer, Rob Thompson. Rob, how you doing today? Fantastic. I know I'm not Dr. Z, but I guess, you know, if I could... Uh, Fill his shoes for at least a couple minutes. That'd be great. <laughs> well, we are live streaming here, uh, and we're waiting for Shane Zenger, our UNH athletic director, to join us here. Uh, this is one of the joys of broadcasting live, and I've done plenty of that in my career. Just a little bit of a background for me, and then I'll let Rob introduce himself, and we'll get Shane here in a minute. Again, my name is J.W. Stewart. I'm one of the newer members of Charger Nation and our Charger family. I grew up in Middletown, Rhode Island, which is right next to Newport. I graduated from Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York, worked in newspapers in New York, television in New York. I worked at uh, ESPN as a studio host for 12 years, then another four years at our NBC uh, affiliate here in Connecticut as a sports anchor and reporter. And for the last two years, I've been an adjunct professor at the University of New Haven, where I'm also pursuing my master's degree in sport management. And I'm very, very fortunate to be here. Uh, my youngest sister, Beth, actually graduated from the University of New Haven back in 1999. So uh, one member of my family was already a member of the Charger Nation before I joined. And I look forward to earning my master's degree hopefully next year. So that's a little bit about me. And let me introduce you to Rob Thompson, who's joining us from Saratoga Springs, New York. Beautiful Saratoga Springs, New York. I tell you, we're everybody's in a full panic. If this horse racing does come back this summer, <laughs> It might be me running around the track yeah. with a jockey on my shoulders. <laughs> the, the sad, the sad, the sad, the sad thing is, is that right. there would be there were people so desperate to gamble that oh. they would line up to bet on that. <laughs> Degenerates everywhere. It's fantastic. What what, uh, what what odds would you give yourself, Rob, if you had to uh, run around the track? Of blowing a knee out, they're going to be. <laughs> that's. Or a hip. I'm a hip. How you get a hip going? Um, I, yeah, so I've been up in Saratoga for about 20 years. I'm originally from West Haven. I am a, I'm an alum. In uh, 1990, played football for legendary uh, uh, Tony Sperano as a lineman. I did not age gracefully. So, um, And then I had a nice career in the industry as a coach and uh, worked for the NFL, run the youth development programs for a very long time, and then spent the majority of my career after that at the Walt Disney Company selling sponsorship and media with the Disney Channel, Radio Disney, Disney XD. was an entrepreneur for a while after that, and then I returned. For the most part, I took a, a little bit of a retirement and I returned to the university in athletic development uh, fundraising and uh, do a bunch of other stuff, advising startups and all that other good stuff. So here I am, you know, and I host my own podcast too, Sports Biz Radio. So, you know, it's not my first time. Yeah, no, this is this is a new one for me. We did our trial run the other day, so this is the second podcast I've ever done. But yeah. Rob, you're a you're an old hand at doing this. How how many years have you done podcasting? I started it four years ago, but no, five years ago when I still own North American Sports Group. And I did it as a hack. I did it to get to decision makers because I could, if you can't get them on the phone, just invite, if you can never get anybody on the phone, here's a, here's a good tip for you. Just invite them to a podcast and they'll, oh, yeah, well, I'll have a call, right? Tim knows. I see him shaking his head back there. And literally it was the greatest hack in the world. Um, and at the time when I wanted to get to this one executive with, he was a former ESPN guy, actually, he was at uh, Univision. Um, I asked him to get on a podcast. He didn't return a phone call or an email for three months. Podcast, two minutes. Let's set it up, Rob. You know, and I didn't even have a podcast at the, at the time, so I had to set one up. So it's been about about two hundred episodes in. Yeah, very good, 
Very good. Yeah. It's it's it, this is the one part of broadcasting that I've never had the opportunity to, to do. I've done everything else in my career. Podcasting, as you mentioned, has been around for a while, but this is my first foray into it. Now I'm grateful for the opportunity that that you've given me and the, the school's given me. And it's it's great to be here with uh, with Shane Zenger, who is it, for for those people who don't get it, who don't know Shane, he is very entertaining. And we are in the process now, as you can see on your screen and, and hearing in the podcast in the background, bringing Shane in. Let's hope that he can hear us. Joining us from Brantford, Connecticut, down the street from our camp, our main campus in West Haven. Dr. Z, can you hear us okay? I can hear you. You're looking good there, J-Dub. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. Hey, I, I got to ask you, because we this is all new, new to a lot of us, and there's so many people who are meeting you for the first time. Before you give a little bit more background about yourself, in the short time we've known one another, I've never asked you what what the story is behind your first name. Tell us the story. I, I've never met anyone with the name Shane. Tell us the story of your first name. It's very fair, and and I never have either, uh, J Dub. And there's an interesting story to the end of that. My my mom was who's been gone now for a couple of years and uh, whatnot. It was very eclectic, entertaining woman. Big personality, very educated, very bright. Uh, <laughs> her name was Sharon. My dad's name was she Weldon. Together, they named their first child Sheldon. My sister was Shannon. You know, they were using that SH thing. And and uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I was probably somewhat of a late addition. But uh, she would always say, well, we wanted a two-syllable SH name. And you could have been Sherman. And that was, I said, okay, I got it. Well, in the town of Salina, Kansas, where I was born, there was a prominent family with the last name Shane. It's an Irish last name. And she really liked it. Uh, and, and I've met so many of them now back when I was at my last job. Uh, they were alumni of that school. And uh, they were business men and women. They were attorneys. They're, when they were in high school, they were good athletes. And so she just liked it. And that's where it came from. Now, the fact that it's an Irish last name fit because she has a little bit of Irish blood and I ended up marrying an Irish woman. And so my kids are Irish and it's worked out really well. That's a great story. How many people over the years have mispronounced your first name and, and what iterations have you heard? What are the funniest oh, ones? I almost hesitate to tell you what they are, but all have mispronounced it other than my teachers, you mm -hmm. know, if someone uses my first name, I feel like I'm in trouble because it came from a teacher or my mom. You know, even my grandpa, my mom's dad refused to call me that. So my the iteration that he used was Shane. He loved the movie, the Western Shane. He even he'd send me letters and spell it that way. He told my mom, I'm never going to call him that. I'm not using that. And so imagine that her own father <laughs> rejected it. But uh, so I've been called Z Zing all my childhood. And then once I became a coach, that's an easy fallback. You know, coach, coach, we all joke those of us in the coaching business. And then once I got the PhD, uh, student athletes started calling me Dr. Z. That's where I came from. And so I eventually just started going with it. And I realized I kind of like the moniker Dr. Z, but I realized it's just easier for them. That's all they're doing. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, we all know Dr. J. We're very fortunate yeah. to have yeah. doc, Dr. Z. What are you a doctor in? What do you have your doctorate in? So specifically, I'll go through the whole thing. My undergraduate education, it was English literature and secondary education, the secondary education part so I could coach. And I, I didn't use that beyond student teaching and coaching a year of high school football. I got a master's degree in journalism, mass communications, 
uh, with a focus in public relations and higher education. I, I was always tracking toward uh, uh, if I couldn't be a football coach, which is what I was doing at the time, I'd go over into administration. If I wasn't in athletics, I'd be in enrollment management. So my master's thesis was on enrollment management. Still have a love for for that. I've I've been a recruiting coordinator for the first ten years or so of my career, and then finally the last degree is in higher education administration, so college university administration. The official title is educational policy and leadership, with a minor in. I'm going way deeper nuance in in history, particularly the, in particular the history of higher education in the United States. And now, of course, for those for those people who don't get a chance to uh, or have not had a chance to get to know you a little bit, tell us a bit more about, you know, yourself and, and how you ended up here at the University of New Haven. Yeah, I'll go fast through the original part. A lot of moves. I was doing a, the math the other day and realized uh, I think I've moved 15 times in my life, an average of three years per place, which, you know, that's not so often the case. Certain places, like the last place I was at for eight to 10 years, you know, Illinois, that was Kansas. Illinois State was six years. I'm kind of going reverse order. Uh, prior to that, I was the lead fundraiser and associate AD at uh, Kansas State University. Before that, at uh, I was the assistant head football coach and recruiting coordinator and running back coach at the University of Wyoming. Before that, I was the same position, assist, or running back coach and recruiting coordinator at the University of South Florida when Jim Levitt went there to start the program back in 1996. Very proud of that, that experience. Um, I, I had been a graduate student at the University of Kansas working for the office of the chancellor and executive vice chancellor uh, and started a magazine called American Football Quarterly with a partner of mine named Manny Matsakis, who's currently in the coaching profession. And, and what led to all that was uh, playing small college football at places like Fort Hay State, and American Nazarene College, and eventually led to, to a grad assistantship at, uh, at uh, Drake University and then working for Bill Snyder on his original staff at Kansas State. So I went in reverse order. That's kind of an odd way to do it, but my brain worked that way today. And we're glad that you're with us here at the University of New Haven. And for all the, the members of Charger Nation, our audience who are listening to our podcast or watching our podcast, What's your message to, to them, especially when it pertains to athletics? Because certainly we're in a, a time that we've never thought we'd be in. This is an uh, unbelievably strange time. And not only our college's history, our country's history, our world's history. What's your message to Charger Nation who's watching and listening right now? You know, JW, I will uh, combine the last two questions because really I came to the University of New Haven for a reason that, that applies to this. Uh, I was contacted by a search firm that I'm pretty familiar with saying, I've got a really unique opportunity. I was, I was down at, at I, I left this out to Texas Christian university, TCU working in the office of the chancellor and as an advisor to, uh, to the athletic director and, and really exploring a lot of different career opportunities. And, and this gentleman called and said, there's a really unique place I think that would interest you. And after several weeks of dialogue, I showed up August 15th to, to interview and, and I've told this story many times, but it'll be fun on the podcast. Never left. President Kaplan just kept saying, would you stay another day? Would you stay another day? And he and knew I was a little bit of a foodie and said, you need to go eat here and eat there. And he'd meet me that way. And so I don't know when I really started here. I think the contract officially was August 31st. But I, they flew me back to Fort Worth twice to get clothes and drive back here and stop through Lawrence, Kansas and move my youngest son into college and I didn't go home till Thanksgiving. But the reason is this place just has a certain feel to it. I think we're the ultimate overcomers. And, and I know in talking to donors and alumni like Dave Peterson and others, um, 
they see it that way. New Haven has always gotten through the tougher times. And under the leadership of President Kaplan, in the last 15 years, the Charger Nation knows what's been accomplished on campus, academically, in residents' life. And now he brought me here with the enticement that we want to do that in athletics. And so now we're in this time period. And I'm just applying what I saw when I came here on day one. No entitlement, strong work ethic, first-generation college students. Uh, it's a work ethic private school is how I describe it to people. What, what do you want the Charger Nation to know? Because I know a lot of people, not just the Charger Nation, but sports fans in general, are aching to get back to sports and seeing sports, and especially fall sports, because we know the spring sports have been canceled. What can you tell us and what can you tell the Charger Nation about looking ahead to the fall in sports uh, back on campus, if that's going to be a possibility? You know, I would say that we're part of the, the global and national effort in this regard. A lot of lot of positivity. I, I keep, you know, the, the sports channels on <laughs> on mute usually in, in the living room here while I'm working. And, and the push yesterday was the president meeting with, with commissioners and whatnot, trying to get Sports in America back on track. It is, we all know Sports in America is a, a huge uh, uh, catalyst for, uh, for the economy and a lot of other things, just the spirit of America. So let's take that from the macro to the micro level. That's who we are at, at, at UNH. Uh, I believe that getting our sports programs back in, in motion will, will help us all feel a sense of renewal and that we're re returning to normalcy. So is, is that is the mindset for us at UNH that we're preparing for the fall season as if it's business as usual, even though it's not business as normal? You said that really well. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Quote. I don't know that I can double down on that other than to say you got to prepare for all kinds of different alternatives. But yes, that's that's the primary focus. All right. Well, we'll keep that. We'll keep our fingers crossed. And certainly there'll be constant updates uh, here on our podcast and certainly on our uh, website as well. But uh, there are a lot of firsts. This is you know new for me doing podcasts. This is new for you doing a podcast. This is going to be the answer to a trivia question someday. And that is our first guest. And if one day Alex Trebek is doing Jeopardy, you know, in a few short years, and and he says, you know, the the answer to this question is he was the first guest on the Dr. Z and J-Dub podcast. The answer in the form of a question would be, who is Tim Schlosser? And Tim has been backstage, and we bring him in live right now, joining us from Lawrence, Kansas. Tim is the former associate AD for student athlete development and leadership at Kansas and a good friend of Dr. Z's. And Tim, thank you very much for being our first guest. Thank you so much, J-Dub. Thank Dr. Z for having me on. You bet. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be a, you know, J-Dub and I are getting used to each other on this, and he's the true talent when it comes to, to knowing how to, to be in front of a microphone and a camera and an interview. So I'm going <laughs> to do that, Tim, but I'm going to jump in and interrupt all the time because I know you so well, and certain things I want you to share with our audience. Perfect. Love that. Yeah, we, we use talent, by the way, in quotation marks. So. <laughs> <laughs> We've all learned some things in life, J-Dub. I think you got that one. You got that one Thank down you. down. Thank you. So I know you've got a bio for, for Tim, and, and I want to jump the shark a little bit here and just say some of my favorite things about him. We're talking about a silver medalist. I won't give the year in national tumbling, which is part of the gymnastics world. Uh, an owner of multiple gyms at a very young age. Uh, in the state of Illinois, 
and and circled back through to to schools. He was at Illinois and Illinois State in different times in his life. But Illinois State was a gymnastics coach and became uh, uh, an academic counselor many years ago, and, uh, and 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 an expert in leadership development. And then he took that expertise to the University of Kansas and just was kind of a miracle worker for us there. But my my really claim to fame for him is he turned down the opportunity to be the head of USA Gymnastics at one point. So I think wow. when you say that. Yeah, that's, 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 actually, actually, that's not true. So I have to correct yeah. already. But okay. actually, what it was, was is that we were doing a new sport for um, the Olympic program called trampoline and tumbling. And I was asked to be the program director. Okay. Because it had just gone on the Olympic program, but um, yeah, I did turn I did turn that down. So that is that is true. About this, just for fun, before we get into deeper topics, uh, you know, speaking of on air talent, um, speaking of on air talent with with J Dub, didn't you do color commentary for a lot of uh, uh, gymnastics on TV yeah. national? Yes, I was the color, not the talent at that time. And uh, I, but it was actually for uh, as part of the way we were promoting the sport of trampoline and tumbling to get on the program. So what I did is this is back in like, like the mid nineties when they were doing like HSC network and prime sports and those sort of things. And we would produce the whole show. And I was the, the, the color for the events. And it was, it was really, it was really quite fun. Actually. We had, we had a great time doing that. And it gave us a lot of sort of um, energy around the sport and the athletes felt great about being televised for the first time. So yeah, it was, it was a pretty fun, fun thing to do. Before we get into the, the next line of questioning, I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your background, Tim, especially with, with regards to tumbling. How, how did you get into that sport? Uh, so, okay. So I have a lot of energy, always have. And uh, I think my dad um, was hoping that baseball would be like the best place for me to challenge that or channel that energy. And when I um, actually started playing uh, minor league, little league, um, Peewee League, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't have the ability to focus and sit still. So I would tumble in the outfield and get a lot of attention from the crowd. So like everyone was waiting around to see if a ball came to them. And I was like, well, I'm not going to wait around for that. I'm going to go ahead and get upside down. And then everyone would clap except my dad. Uh, he didn't think that was so great. So, uh, so then they were like, okay, so this kid really likes to be upside down. And then they decided to put me into tumbling because we didn't really have a gymnastics program in it. So it did a couple of things. It, it really helped with the energy and sort of dispersing that. Uh, and then also uh, it allowed for me to really focus because that's one of those sports that you really have to be very focused. And, and that helped a lot as well. So that's how I got into it. Basically, they didn't know what to do with me and baseball did not work. So, And it ended up okay. Being a silver medalist at the World Tumbling Championship, as Dr. Z just alluded to. Tim, Tim do you still have the silver medal and where do you keep it? You know, it's so funny. So I don't, I don't know where it is. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things I teach in my coaching program is how to be present. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking back to those moments. Um, I'm sure it's around here somewhere. It, um, but I actually don't know where it is. And I really appreciate Shan not saying the year because that would have just threw me on my heels right there. <laughs> 
So you guys have known each other a long time. Tim, what do you remember about meeting Shane for the first time? Well, I was at Illinois State when um, I think the candidates were giving presentations to like the entire athletic department as part of the hiring process. And uh, Dr. Z was one of the candidates. And I remember being like struck with the authenticity and the genuine uh goodwill that he had for uh, what, you know, the athletic department and what he could create there, the value he could create for the student athlete experience and for the department as a whole. And so it was, it was, he was on a stage and he was doing his thing. He was talking. Um, but it was absolutely one of those moments that I totally remember where I thought we got to get this guy because he's going to lead us to the place we want to go to. And uh, it that that I will never forget that. I'm glad you asked the question because it really was a great uh, memory for me in terms and then ended up being a great friendship, obviously. But yeah, it was a great memory. And I, I will always remember the sort of care and goodwill and uh, intention to really make a difference that came through and proved to be true, by the way. Dr. Z. Good you Dr. Z, do you have a do you have a funny story about Tim before we move on? Oh heck, there there are so many, and we've shared so many different uh, experiences in, in over fifteen years. And uh, uh, in terms of funny, Tim's just a guy full of energy, and and whether it be at Illinois State or at Kansas, uh, you can't keep people out of his office. When he came to Kansas, I was enticing him there and bringing him and a colleague of his uh, named Jane Fulton, uh, who worked alongside in academic support and, and leadership development. And I said, he asked, well, what do you want me to do when you come here? So this probably is the funniest story. I go, well, I want you to be everywhere. And if you know, Tim, we have a little phrase we use about that with regard to something being in a skillet. I won't say it on the podcast, but uh, man. The first few years, he, he was everywhere. And, and, and at first, people were like, what, what do you have this guy doing? What's he doing? And by the time we both finished our time there, it was there were coaches and student athletes and staff members who just couldn't exist without having a piece of Tim Slosser that day. And, and that's what he's transitioned to being a, a, a life coach full time because that's what people crave from him. And so what he's doing with us right now, what he did with our student athletes Monday on our Mental Health Monday uh, uh, Zoom call with 106 student athletes is what he does every day. It's infectious. And people who know him just constantly seek him out. Uh, we're lucky to get his, his time twice this week because others are, are pretty demanding of it right now. I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Z, because I mean, certainly that's the one thing on everybody's mind right now is obviously we're all self-quarantining and trying to get through the coronavirus pandemic and hope the world gets back to normal and trying to adjust to our new normal. Tim, what is your advice? What was your advice to the UNH student athletes? And what's your advice to all of us who are listening here today? Uh, well, when I address the athletes, I think uh, what I wanted to do was sort of um, convey some themes that I have found that are sort of emerging uh, as a result of this sort of new normal, this new experience. And probably the most important thing uh, was that you always have to put your attention and your intention into what's controllable. Because right now there's so much uncertainty, right? And we have that feeling of out of control because just it's nothing like we're used to. So anytime we can sort of help someone, um, coach them to find out, you know, 
um, where they can actually put their intention and control um, their situation. So for example, I work a lot with uh, student athletes, former student athletes, coaches on their thinking, managing their mind, because that is ultimately what's in your control. So that's a big piece. So, you know, a student athlete can say, you know, I'm stuck at home because of this virus, or they can say, uh, I'm safer at home because of this virus. And both things are, you know, maybe true, but one creates a very different emotional response, right? But it's that thinking that's within your control. So a lot of times that's one of the most important things. I think the other thing, J-Dub, that's really important right now that I hope I conveyed to the student athletes is that um, we need a big permission slip to just say every emotion that you're feeling is okay right now, right? Because there's no shoulds, there's no this is the right way. It's really about just allowing whatever's coming up for you to be there and not try to like push it back or, you know, um, do something that will sort of try to get rid of it uh, that's unhealthy. And instead, and, and we haven't, you know, historically as a society been very good at allowing people to feel the feels, right? To allow the emotions. Um, and that's why we have a lot of the problems we have, I think, in, in our in our world. So I think those were two of probably the most important things that I wanted them to sort of remember because they know that from sport, they know that in sport, you have to control the controllables. You have to stay within your locus of control if you wanna perform at the highest level. Um, and they also know that, you know, certain emotions are gonna come up and how you manage those in sport are gonna produce the results you want as well. So I think they responded pretty well to those messages. Um, and it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. Great, great athlete. You know, J-Dub, I, I wanna mention, before I force Tim into it even deeper on this subject, and in the world of higher education and college athletics today, mental wellness and mental health, something I've learned to call brain health, just like we call it physical health. Uh, you'll never hear me use the phrase mental illness. And I'm kind of on this quest in life, Dr. Amen, who consults with the NFL to, to get rid of that phrase. It's, it's just brain health. You know, it's, and we all need to be, be aware of our brain health and, and, and should be, yeah, in, in an ideal world, we'd all have a brain doctor, like we have a body doctor, but, but I, that'll be a long time before we do that. Uh, but having said that, you know, it's, it's a big, it's the biggest issue in front of educators today is the mental well-being and mental health of our, of our students and student athletes. And it has a lot to do with, I won't go down that rabbit hole. We can do that another show or later today with social media and the fear of missing out and comparing yourself to others. We, that's, that's a huge topic that we may get into here. But in light of that, one of the things Tim has helped students and student athletes that I know, coaches that I know, and even me, uh, is teaching us that life, and I'm going to ask you to kind of go deeper on this, Tim, your concept of life being 50-50. And then I want to come back to you with a concept that you and I just started talking about recently is the concept of, you know, so many people talk about being positive or negative. The category in between that I got from an NFL consultant and some literature that uh, talks about being neutral and that being the most, the best place to be when you're in you're going to achieve in competition in life rather than always trying to be too high or too low. But let's start with your concept of 50, 50 and go to neutrality. 
Yeah. So when I, I decided to go back and get my coaching certification and I went to an amazing school called the life coach school and the founder and, and the coach that actually, and a teacher that works with us explained this concept to the entire class, the cohort and said, you know, one of the things to work with your clients on, her name is Brooke Castillo. She said is to get them to understand that life on average is pretty much 50, 50. 50 good, 50 bad. Now, some days it feels like 80-20, right? And some days it feels like 20-80. But the, on average, right, you have to have the contrast because that's the range of experience in life, right? So um, one of the things that I see a lot of people do, especially today, is they're trying to get away from that negative 50. So the 50 part that's sort of sad or unhappy or any of the negative emotions, and they're always sort of searching to get back to the positive 50. And what I work with them on is learning how to allow and embrace all of it. Because there's oftentimes, like after a loss, right? You don't want to feel happy. You actually want to feel sad. That's the appropriate emotion. Now, how you process that, how you allow that is where all the magic happens. Because if you try to sort of buffer it or push it away, then you might you know, start engaging in behaviors that aren't healthy, right? Um, that's where we see things like over drinking or overeating or overworking and all that stuff, stuff sort of come in. But the concept of 50-50 is powerful. And it was Dr. Z that actually, when we first were talking about this one day, he said to me, it's just like they, how we used to talk about Sunday mornings as a football coach, that every day, 50% of the country wakes up sad. You know, athletes, coaches, right? That's just how... It's play. That's how it works in the world. And I'm like, that's exactly what happens in life, right? So the trick is not to always be happy. The trick is to allow all of it. I mean, think of it. You don't even know what happy feels like unless you know what sad feels like, right? You don't even, you just don't know. You don't know without the contrast. So that's really an important concept for people to sort of get their hands around as they try to manage their mind and have their mind serve them. Uh, what Dr. Z was talking about, neutral, uh, that I think is really an important tool for people to work on, is that trying to move from a positive space, you know, positive thinking, um, to or, or trying to move from a negative space to a positive space, sometimes it's too great a distance. So being able to drop into a space where you're not feeling really much of anything, that neutral space, uh, is really a sort of way to get there, right? And what's interesting about it is that if you really think about it, that neutral space is where language doesn't exist. So most of our positive emotion comes from our thoughts, the sentences in our mind, right, about an event. That's where the positive side is. The negative side is same event maybe or different outcome, but all those negative thoughts create a different emotion. But if you take away the language, think about this for a second, you're in neutral right? That's, I mean, human beings have this amazing gift. We have language. That's what separates us from animals. But the truth is it also can be a big problem. So that ability to drop into neutral and sort of be without language for a bit is pretty amazing. And I know we're getting deep here, but I want you to think about that's an amazing way to go from shifting your space from negative to sort of positive space. That's one of the things, you know, we work with as mindset coaches, um, with our clients.
kind of like shifting a car, I guess, from, you know, re reverse into drive. You have to hit neutral at some point, right? That's perfect. It's perfect. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Doc, Dr. Z, any thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's this is somewhat of a very uh, low level analogy, but I think of the times when, you know, Tim talked about being happy and I think we spend our lives trying to be up here, you know, and well, we won a game. We did this. It was a holiday celebration. It was a marriage. It was a birth there. You can't have that every day. I think about the times when I'm just truly the happiest. It's when I'm just sitting in a room with family or friends. Maybe you're you're just visiting or having a cup of coffee or 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 uh, sitting at the dinner table, and someone will ask someone else, "So, what are you thinking about?" And invariably, they'll say nothing, and they mean it. Nothing. They're just enjoying the moment. And I think about when I'm happiest. You know, real positive or real negative. Your mind's racing, and even in those positive moments, you kind of like, you can't live at that level of adrenaline every day. That's called cortisol. And cortisol, either way, is one of the great detriments to mental and physical health these days. Yeah, and I, I love how you said that, Dr. Z, because if you think about bringing it back to sport, I mean, all the athletes that we work with are going to face some adversity. They're going to face wins and losses. And that skill, that skill to be able to handle any of it and learn how to make it mean what you want to make it mean to move you forward is a skill they will take with them for the rest of their life. I firmly believe sport teaches more than anyone needs to know about how to really thrive on this planet. And, and I think that's true of the arts. I think that's true of anything that you have passion for. But I will tell you this, that skill in itself, when they can transfer that later into life, will solve them so many problems down the road because they learn that they are managing their own mind and as a result, their own emotional life and well-being. Tim, that's great advice, especially for all of us who are dealing with, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff right now, our new normal, or at least our current normal. How do you think things will change with regard to brain health for our students, our student athletes, and all of us once we get beyond COVID-19, once we get to that post-COVID-19 phase, how will things be different? Will they be better? Will we, will, will things be, you know, are we going to be a nation in, in need of a lot of, a lot more of brain health and brain care? You know, I, th I think it's interesting that right now, I think, you know, there's a lot of like sadness and a lot of tension surrounding everything that's happening. And, you know, we're, we're, we're facing a lot of loss, right? Uh, but at the same time, we're sort of having to take a breath. Uh, as a whole, we're sort of having to take a breath and sort of redefine how we generate emotion and uh, action in our own lives in different ways. And so I think when we come back, we're going to have a lot to share if we allow ourselves to. Um, and I think that's going to be a good thing. I think I, I heard Dr. Z say this earlier, like the the, the single most important thing that sport is going to face moving athletes are going to face moving forward is getting their hands around modern emotional mental health and and the importance of that right and and the importance of treating that as something that um, we all need to be concerned with and to eliminate any sort of stigma because that is just a ridiculous thing to have in our world right now so i think that um we're all going to have to be sort of um more aware 
but I think we're going to have more to share based on this experience because we're all going through it, right? It's a shared experience right now. And I think we're going to come out of that and we're going to be able to share some of those and increase some of that connection that we've sort of lost as a result of not being able to be, you know, close and so as a result of social distancing and all the things that are happening. I heard something on a podcast or a message the other day from a speaker that really hit me on target. And that is on the one hand, I've had these experiences with my family when I went back home and we're in the process of moving right now, which is crazy. And that's a whole nother discussion point, but having about a week with my wife and three kids at the dinner table each night at one night was one son's 23rd birthday. We sat there for three and a half hours. There was nowhere else to go, nothing else to do. And it really caused me to look in the mirror and go, wow, I wish we'd have been doing this more in the past. And I looked at our lives over the last 20 years and it was work, 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 kids activities, sporting events, mine, theirs, you know, get together with other, you know, families or couples and go out to eat and do this. I mean, it was just go, go, go. It's been nice to hit the pause button. The flip side of that coin, back to Tim's 50-50, this speaker was talking about he kept speaking about anxiety, and we are here that we're all experiencing through this. And he said, there's an emotion that really was pertinent to him and, and to a lot of people, and that's the emotion of grief, that we're grieving a way of life that we once had. You know, not unlike after September 11, when it changed our experiences in airports, you can't help but go to an airport today and remember when. You used to be able to just walk up to the ticket counter, walk up to the baggage claim, walk up. It's not that way anymore. Life after this experience, how we assemble in groups and whatnot will probably be forever changed. And I think we're grieving that. I am. Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, for as much as we're all excited to get back to normal, right, or what used to be normal and getting back together with people, how do you not – feel a little nervous about that, right? When we're all back together. We all want that human companionship. We all want that connection. We're not meant to be socially distant. We've talked that we don't really like that term, but I think that there's always going to be some fear, you know, and some anxiety when you come back. But the first time that there's a sporting event where fans are allowed to come back, you know, of course people are going to be nervous. No, just the same as people were nervous coming back after 9-11 or the Boston Marathon bombing or any of the terrible things that have happened to us. Tim, with, with regard to that, you know, are, are there things that we should be worried about? How do we put that anxiety aside? Because when, when we come back and we're in a stadium, 50, 60,000 people watching a football game or whatever it is, somebody sneezes, somebody coughs, right? People are going to get all freaked out. How do we manage that anxiety going forward? You know, I think that it's like, so, and you know, I, for the most part, anxiety as is a result of our thinking, right? Of that emotion. Um, sometimes there's, you know, certain certain states like when you're in a depressive state or an anxious state. And I'm not a, you know, a certified mental health provider. So, but that I know that that's that needs to be dealt with with professional. But when we're talking about just in general how we handle anxiety or emotions that are negative, like fear, right? I think the best strategy is to move directly into it because fear serves us, right? It can hurt us, but it also serves us, right? Our primal brain says, stay safe. That's what its job is. So when you feel fear, it's actually doing its job, right? That's what you're, you know, that's okay. It's trying to keep you safe. 
But then sometimes, you know, we need to override that with rational thinking, our prefrontal, and say things to ourselves like, you know, I can be safe because what I'm controlling, you know, whether I'm wearing a mask, whether I'm staying a certain amount, you know, away, even in this moment when I'm only going to the store once a week or whatever it might be, you're in that locus of control and that helps. But I think the best way to handle fear, and that's, I think, really what we're getting at as we move back into uh, you know, life post COVID uh, 19 is that you move into it in a very rational way. I mean, I, I feel like for me, when I, when I had to deal with fear in a way uh, that sort of changed me forever was I had developed a fear of flying. And this was literally a paralyzing fear for me to the point where I gave up certain things in my life because I didn't want to experience that anxiousness, that fear. And what I noticed was how fear hurt and that it made my world very, 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 very small. Anything I could do to avoid the fear I would do and my world got smaller and smaller and smaller. And ultimately what I had to do is sort of start thinking differently and really retrain my mind, manage my mind around how I could approach that so that I could not only walk into the fear, but do it in a way that would be expansive. In, in my world again. And so I think we're going to do a little bit of that. So we're going to do a little bit of moving into it in that way. I agree. I think that, you know, you mentioned the fight or flight mentality, which our brains all have, right? And so fear does play an important survival role for us. But as I try to tell my students, and I'm sure you guys have, have taught your students, you know, at Kansas, Illinois, Illinois State, whatever, fear prevents us from doing great things. Right. If we let fear keep us, you know, hold up in our houses. Right. That's not we're not living our lives effectively. So if we can face fear head on, as you said, Tim, and do whatever it is that makes us scared, then we get through it on the other side. Oh, that wasn't that bad. Right. You know, that's that's you know part of life. We all deal with fear, fear of failure, fear of loss and rejection and all those other things. But once you encounter it, you know how to deal with those feelings. You move forward and you can kind of go on with your life. That's kind of how I how I've always looked at it. We yeah. try, not to let, try not to let fear prevent you from doing great things. Yes. And it, what I love that you just said there, J-Dub, is that it's not recklessness, right? right? That's not what you're talking about at all. What you're talking about is staying within what's controllable, right? So all those actions that will keep you as safe as possible, but not allowing that primal brain to stop you from, from achieving what, you know, you don't want to fail ahead of time, right? Right, right. right. No thing and that a lot of athletes sometimes do that as well like they won't you know swing for the fence i know we're using a lot of sports cliches but you know what i'm saying because they're afraid of failure right so they fail ahead of time by not even really trying the same is going to be true for us here we're going to have to actually try and and sort to avoid that i think Let's we've gone we've gone down we've gone down the rabbit hole. Let's come back up the rabbit hole a little bit and, and maybe uh, start to wind up the show a little bit with something a little bit more on the light side. Although Tim, all your advice has been fantastic. As as Dr. Z has mentioned, you know you've you were a great athlete. Certainly, I, I have no doubt you could still tumble and do the gymnastic stuff now if you could. But I'm curious, what are some of the most impressive athletic feats that you've ever covered or witnessed? So, uh, you know, I mean, I think that it, it, I've, I've seen some really amazing moments. Like I was lucky enough when we were promoting the sport of trampoline 
I was living in Atlanta in 96 and I got to see uh, fr from the front row, uh, the women's gymnastics team win the first gold medal in gymnastics in history for the USA. That was something I will absolutely like never forget. But, but that's like such a, like a grand thing. And I think sometimes, you know, there's those moments when um, you just see um, someone do something extraordinary that they didn't expect. I love those moments. I love those moments when they surprise themselves. And that can happen like, you know, at the, at the, at the smallest level of sport, right. Or, or, or the, the greatest level. But I love that. I love that, that sort of when they violate their own expectations of themselves and they're like, wow, I can't believe I just did that. I think those are the things that really, um, really sort of stick in my mind. What would you say? That's a great answer. I, I was trying to come up with one while you were answering. I'm, I'm, I'm still in the process of trying to come up with, I'm, I'm actually going to pass the ball to Dr. Z. <laughs> Maybe he can no. answer and then I'll come up with something here. <laughs> I had time to think, so it's not fair, J-Dub, but uh, I, I'm going to answer that in two levels. One, the grand level. You know, I've had the opportunity you would think uh, to see some of those grand things, you know, a national championship in women's track and field for my school, uh, final fours, two final fours in basketball, the final four in volleyball. Those were all great, but to, that was celebrated by so many. It, it's, you know, if you're talking about as a coach and administrator, my favorite games have been things like literally, I mean this just a month ago when our men's basketball team in the semifinals of the NE10 tournament won in triple overtime. I could take a half an hour to, to describe all the things that happened for that to, to, to transpire, but unbelievable. You know, it's one of my top three basketball games all time I've, I've seen, and that includes Oklahoma ranked number one, Kansas ranked number one, going into triple overtime. And they, at that time, called it possibly the game of the century. They replayed it on TV a couple of weeks ago. But my favorite, a football game that my oldest son played in where he was a cornerback and a punter and just – you know, his name was announced like 15 times, a lot of tackles, a lot of key punts, etc. I talked about him having a suicide squeeze to win a game in his junior year. My youngest son uh, winning a delayed extra inning baseball game, only one inning. It was sudden death. Uh, we had taken the lead on a home run in the first half of the inning, and then he came in and as a submarine pitcher, four up, three down. And it got dicey. There was, there was a a guy on third for two of those outs. And the odds will tell you there's like a 90% chance that run scores. And it did. And finally, my daughter, who, who was a very gifted runner, uh, coming from the middle of the pack in the state championships to finish in the top 12 to help push her team from number two to number one and win the state championship and thereby also garnered her all-state status. Those, you know, as a parent, uh, those are more important to me than the things that I've been a part of uh, as an administrator or a coach. Yeah, I, that's a great answer. I'm glad you you think in those terms. I, I don't have kids, so it's not easy for me to to come up with something like that, which is which is awesome. I, I mean, you know, it's it's easy to say, you know, the Red Sox winning the 2004 World Series championship, but I wasn't there. You know, I watched it on television. I actually covered the '96 World Series, saw the Yankees win. That was cool. I guess the thing that that I look at is when I was at the NBC affiliate here in Connecticut, I had a chance to cover the UConn women's basketball team for four straight years. 
And three of those years, they won national championships, 14, 15, and 16. That was Brianna Stewart and Mariah Jefferson and Morgan Tuck and that, and that crew. And that was pretty cool to see them up, up close and personal and to see Gino Oriyama, who is, you know, a Hall of Famer on a lot of levels, you know, great coach, but more importantly, great teacher, as we all know, the, the best coaches are our best teachers. And, and Gino and his associate head coach, Chris Daly, are both terrific teachers in their own right and, and leaders, too. And we certainly will talk a lot about leadership on this podcast as we go forward. But I think that that's impressive, right? Knowing that you're the, the the top dog, no pun intended, would be in the Huskies, but being the top dog every year and everyone wants to to knock you off for them to respond to those challenges year after year after year. And no matter how poorly things may have gone in some of the games, they didn't lose a whole lot, but you know they were challenged in some of the games in the tournament. For them to respond and to you know keep that long winning streak alive. 111 games, you know, in the regular season, it was that to me, I thought was very impressive. And to, to see that up close and personal for three or four years straight was pretty remarkable. So that's, that's what I come on. So that's where I come Good from. Stuff. Good stuff. Yep. Yep. Let's, uh, let's, let's wrap things up here. I know we're, we're kind of getting low on time here. Uh, Rob, actually, let's bring Rob in. Rob, do you have well, a, uh, an impressive athletic feat that you've witnessed or covered. You've been, you've been very good back there. <laughs> well, first of all, first of all, Tim, by the way, we all need a little bit more Tim in our lives. Let's start yes. there. Yes. And secondly, the only tumbling I ever have done in my life is usually by accident. So there's tumbling out of Toad's place on, on, you know, on York street. So tumbling up the stairs. So I would I would say um, to get to be serious. <laughs> so the biggest the, I, I, there was a bunch of them, but I, I'm going to name one, especially, uh, and I'll refer back to University of New Haven. Is when we went down in football in 1989 when we played Central Florida, who was the number one team in the country, not in Division Two, but the FCS. So it's like New Haven going out and be, uh, playing against North Dakota State or James Madison right now. Uh, we were number ten or eleven in Division Two. We went down there during their homecoming. Um, in front of 65,000 people in the Florida Citrus Bowl and beat them. And, um, you know, so that to me was just a magical moment and made up for everything that we went through, the sacrifices that we went through as student athletes at that time at the University of New Haven, which was a much different place in, in the mid-80s. We were practicing at a junior high field um, and that wasn't even lined. And, you know, we would have junior high school teams playing our national anthem because we didn't have a band back then now. And I'm going to end with this and I'm going to segue over to it. I have our band, um, a little video from them, but, um, you know, the things that happen in your life, sometimes you never see coming. Sometimes those tough de decisions that you have to make the ones that was hard, it was hard for me to go to college, right? Five minutes from where I grew up. Um, but things happen for a reason. We're on this podcast for a reason. And uh, I truly believe that um, I truly believe that things like that of, of you know, going through the, the whole process at UNH earlier on and then staying there and then seeing it all the way through to, uh, you know, beating teams like Central Florida and Townsend and UConn and Villanova and all that. Um, and, and seeing a bunch of my teammates and I going to the NFL and our coaches going to the NFL and our entire baseball team getting drafted and our women's basketball team winning the national championship way before UConn won it. Um, those are the things that the legacy at the University of New Haven stands for that most people don't know. And to have everybody on the phone right now that talking about the University of New Haven, the level of people that you all are and 
that you were all talking about the University of New Haven four years ago when I first came back here. I never imagined this moment. So uh, it's it's been a wonderful, wonderful treat. And uh, and to do go through this journey with you guys, especially today, being where our feet are, right, Tim? And enjoying this moment is is pretty special. And Dr. Z over there, I muted you for a reason because you were getting some feedback. But I'll unmute you now, buddy. And uh, hold on. And if and if you don't mind, is it okay? Um, JW, say your goodbyes, and I'll and I'll do the outro with the video. That sounds great. We, Dr. C and I would like, and Rob would like to thank uh, Tim Schlosser for joining us. Tim, our certified high-performance life and mindset coach. And uh, Tim, our first guest here on the Dr. Z and J-Dub podcast, and we'll always uh, be very grateful. And we hope you come back on again and join us sometime again real soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. Y'all have an amazing day. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. For Dr. Z, for Rob, for Tim, for Charger Nation, I'm J.W. Stewart. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. That's it, boys. Great work, everybody. Thank you. I, I, Rob, I don't know if it matters. I didn't. From the Charger Nation Network, you're listening to Dr. Z and the J-Dub Show.